Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast about foreign policy and world affairs. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg, editor of UN Dispatch. And in this show, we discuss topical global issues, have conversations with foreign affairs thought leaders and newsmakers, and give you the context you need to understand the world today. Go to globaldispatchespodcast.com to learn more. And now on with the show. My guest today, Supriya Vani, interviewed every living female Nobel Peace Prize winner for her 2018 book, Battling Injustice, 16 Nobel Peace Prize Laureates. In this conversation, we discuss some common traits that she found across these women, and she tells stories from her interviews and reporting across the globe. Supriya Vani is a journalist and activist in India, and I caught up with her from New Delhi. Supriya Vani published her book before Nadia Murad, the 2018 Nobel Peace Prize recipient, had received her honor. So now, in fact, the total is 17 female Nobel Peace Prize laureates. But as you'll see from this conversation, Supriya Vani predicted Nadia Murad's win in a way. A quick note before we begin, thank you to all of you who are supporting the show through Patreon. When you make a contribution to the show, I'll add you to the subscriber roles to my daily news clip service, Dawn's Digest. This is a premier news clip service for which top government agencies and NGOs sign up their staff, and it could be yours, uh, complimentary, if you subscribe and support the show via Patreon. It's a, a thank you from me to you for supporting the show. You'll also unlock a host of bonus episodes and other rewards. Thanks again for supporting the show, for helping me shine a spotlight on undercovered global stories. And I'll post a link to Patreon in the description field of this podcast episode. Thank you all. Um, some busy week of uh, interviews coming up next week. I have uh, Jan Eagleland I'll be interviewing. He recently returned from Cameroon and will be briefing the Security Council on his findings. But before he briefs the Security Council, he'll be sitting down with me to talk uh, about the humanitarian and political situation in Cameroon right now. Uh, also, I'll be speaking with a Canadian politician about a, a worthwhile Canadian initiative uh, regarding refugees. Canada has always been one of the world leaders on refugees, and uh, this Canadian senator's idea, I think, will push the envelope even further. And I also have the final of my interviews uh, with the Skoll Foundation Award winners, the Social Entrepreneurship Award winners. Uh, and this one will be with um, a woman who is pioneering a way to combat online child abuse. All right, looking forward to all of those interviews. And for now, here is my conversation with journalist and author and activist Supriya Vani. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. So I'm saying that since 1901, 
only 16 women got Nobel Peace Prize, right from Wartha One Sutner, who was the secretary of Alfred Nobel, uh, till Malala Yousafzai, okay, because when I finished the book, Malala Yousafzai was the last woman to get the Nobel Prize. And after that, Nadia Murat got it. So now the number is 17. And uh, so I somehow, I don't know why, I just, I was so moved by the story of Nadia Murad, uh, the client of Amal Rooney, uh, that I dedicated the book to Nadia Murad before she got the Nobel Prize. And I dedicated the book to her in, 19, uh, uh, in, in 2017 because I was so moved by her story. And I had no idea that she will be another chapter in the book later on. <laughs> That's amazing. But, yeah, so... So, so yeah, you you, so you basically crisscrossed the globe interviewing every living female Nobel laureate. Um, can you, I guess, tell me yeah. some of these stories? Like, like, what was your experience, for example, interviewing uh, Ellen Johnson Sirleaf, and how did that compare to your experience interviewing, say, Malala Yousafzai? See, I, uh, well, I, I want to really tell you that how it all started because, you know, it is it's very important to give a base to it. Uh, it started in 2011, okay, and I interviewed Onsen Suchi during that time and that too under the military rule. Now, you can imagine, you know, what it takes to interview Onsen Suchi when there was a military rule. And uh, that was the first interview which I could really crack. And I was the first journalist who was given an, uh, you know, access after her release from the house arrest. Now, during that time, the problem of, you know, you know, this whole thing of this whole Rohingya problem was not there in 2011. So you can understand that. Yeah. So this is a recent problem. And, you know, we all need to work for it. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Just to maybe set the context, it sounds like you you interviewed her um, in that moment of transition uh, when she had just been released from house arrest, as she was sort of assuming the de facto control of government, but before the genocide of the Rohingya, yeah. for which she has not spoken up, uh, and for which she has received a lot of criticism. Happened. There was still a lot of hope when when you interviewed her. Yeah. Yes, yes. So that was before the genocide, number one, and that was during the military rule. And that was uh, a very difficult task even to go to Burma during that time to even meet Anton Suchi. So uh, I had, you know, difficulties, uh, you know, uh, reaching out to her. But she was kind to me and she wanted to meet me. And that was pretty strange because, you know, um, um, you know, she wanted to tell her story and I met her and I met her at the NLD headquarters, and if I give you, you know, the description was just, uh, you know, two chairs and, you know, one one very, very small refrigerator, and that's all dotted, you know, uh, her, her room, and that's it, and I... I think she was she was incredibly nice and warm to me, but right now the condition is different, and I and I think that she is talking about you know the Rohingya genocide. She is only saying that the violence is, is on the both sides, and there should be no place for violence. And um, I don't know, you know, I mean that's what she said. So after interviewing her, I wanted to know about other stories. I wanted to know what it takes to be a Muslim woman in Iran, like Sharina Badi did, okay? Or or what Malala Yousaf cited and all these ladies and, and, and during that time Malala was 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 not a Nobel laureate. So I wanted to know because I'm coming from a very different background, you know, 
and they are coming from so i have no idea you know what it takes to be uh, a woman there in iran and everything and during the time of ayatollah khomeini you know if like if you have nail paints they're going to chop your nails for it mm-hmm. so, so so that was interesting so is sharon about your your next interview no, my next interview was with Married McGuire. Yeah. And that was in UK it's now. She is a, a wonderful, wonderful lady and um in Northern Benny Ireland peace that, activist, correct? A, absolutely, absolutely, yes. Yes. I went to Belfast. So yeah. And uh, you know, I I often call her as a you know, as a walking saint because uh, she doesn't know how to take rest. Uh, she is 72 or something, uh, you know, and she thinks that she's 21. And, you know, she just keeps going to places and talks about peace. So that's the beauty of that wonderful lady. So, you know, everyone is different, you know. And then I and then I met Trina Bardi and wanted to know about, uh, you know, her own story. And then Tawakul Karman, uh, you know, the first Arab woman to get the Nobel Prize from Yemen. And I met her three, four times. So, so this is just not one interview. I had to take series of interviews to know their depth, as I mentioned before. And... And this is not proper biographies because if you know if like somebody wants to read a biography, they can go on Wikipedia and read it. This is about talking about their souls. This is about what what traits, uh, you know, were like common, uh, you know, between them and. So, so what did you find? So, so having interviewed so many uh, of these, you know, living Nobel laureates, what sort of personality traits did you find were common between them? They were all very, very humble, first of all, very, very grounded, you know, I mean, and they all want to serve people. They all have uh, equal amount of compassion that, you know, that I can say for sure. They're all willing to do something, you know, for the world and they are still doing. It's not that they got the Nobel Prize and they're just, you know, sitting free and okay, fine. I'm like done with the prize. Okay, now. No, they are not sitting idle. They are still still you know working for peace so that's the beauty why do you think humility uh was a common trait um that's interesting to me that that you so quickly uh said their being humble was was something that they all had in common uh well because you know some people uh are 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 very arrogant you know i i I hope you know what i mean you know some people have a lot of air in them but these women noble laureates were very very humble very very grounded and they don't give you uh you know a kind of impression the Nobel peace prize winner or this and that Nah, not at all Uh, you know one interesting story is that you know when i was in london i I was i was having coffee with you know sheena body and uh and uh, Shireen told me that, you know, this is a coffee shop that I often come in. And, I mean, she is their regular customer. And the waiter, I mean, they don't even know that she's a Nobel laureate. So I kind of whispered, uh, you know, to the waiter and said, you know, that she's a Nobel Peace Prize winner. And she got the shock of her life. She said she never mentioned this. And then she started to, you know, Google her. And that was, that's the innocence of these ladies. You know, that is the purity of the soul and no one talks about it. But that that's what I wanted to show that no matter where you go, no matter what you achieve, you stay humble, stay grounded, because never forget your roots. I think that's the important uh, message which I wanted to share with the, you know, with the world that, yes, these ladies 
are humble, grounded, and yet so confident. Even, it's interesting, even like an elected politician, like Ellen Johnson Sirleaf, you'd still consider her in your interviews to, um, you know, give off like an air of, of humbleness and humility? Yes, yes, yes. Well, uh, I recently interviewed the Prime Minister of New Zealand, Justin Darden, and that's for some other uh, thing, and that's nothing to do with this book. And she is so humble. I mean, you know, and that's the beauty of, of, of you know, of, of like some politicians. We have a culture of VVVIP. I don't know. I mean, so many ways in that, you know, in India. And um, what does that mean, a VVVIP? Like very important you know, person. And then a VVV means very, very, very. And that's what people say. You know, so they have, I mean, meaning a normal manager, uh, you know, sometimes it's like, like so difficult and they want to meet or something. So that's that's not something, uh, you know, which, you know, which I agree on. And I feel that um, that um, no matter, you know, like, even if you're president or prime minister of any country, you are you are there because you want to serve your people so they should be grounded and they should uh you know mix with their own uh you know people so that's that's the beauty so i, I you must have interviewed a male winner of the nobel peace prize because i, I know one of them uh, wrote the forward to your book um does, was there a difference uh, a gender difference would you say in how he um you know approached his conversations with you and how a female nobel laureate uh might have uh, or, or approached their conversations with you was there that i'm wondering if like if if humbleness as you describe it is a characteristic of all nobel peace prize winners i i wouldn't consider for example barack obama to be humble um but uh or is there like a gender dynamic to it or neither well you know yeah, Mark, that's, a, you know, that's an excellent question thing is that I have met almost every uh, male Nobel Peace Prize winner also except Barack Obama. And uh, because uh, like I've, I've met Kila Satyarthi, Muhammad Yunus, uh, Muhammad Ilbardai, Lachvalesa and in um, all those people. And I, I was also present at the World Summit of Nobel Peace Laureates in Colombia and the president of Colombia, Juan Manuel Santos. Uh, it's a Nobel Peace Prize, uh, you know, winner of 2016, and in his uh, in a speech, I you know I was I was there in Colombia, and he said, you know, he 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 kind of quoted the lines of John Lennon, you know, you you may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. So one thing which I kind of realized that they are also equally humble. I cannot say for all of them, uh, but yes, Juan Manuel Santos is very humble. So is so is Kalasatarti. You know, these people don't mind getting dirty in in like mud and playing with the kids. You know what I mean? Because I'm I'm coming from India, so I need to really tell you that you know Kalasatarti is going to all kind of streets and everywhere just to save children from the racket of human trafficking. And, you know, and, and, and this is what uh, a true social activist, uh, you know, will do. So, yeah, I, I, I cannot say that everyone is equally humble. I will not say that. But, yes, in, in my portion of reckoning, I would definitely consider uh, the former president of Colombia, Joan Manuel Santos, to be, to be very nice, very, very grounded, and so is Kalasa uh, Tiarty. So, so when you're interviewing um, each of these laureates, what are you looking to to get out of them? Like, what what kind of questions are you asking? What are you trying to learn? 
Well, you know, the chief objective of my book was to show every woman how these 16 women, often from the modest backgrounds, often from the modest backgrounds, were able to rise to the occasion, filled themselves with boundless love and empathy for their fellow human beings, you know, developed steely or, you know, resolved to relentlessly speak truth to power. And so that's what the main thing was there in my mind. And, you know, uh, I mean, they all advocated for the restoration of human rights, particularly of women and children, promoted world peace by holding congresses for peace, embraced, you know, warmly, you know, the underprivileged, the abandoned, the often. So all kind of traits I wanted to show and share with the world to actually share the inner self. So can, can you maybe tell a story of, 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 or an anecdote from one of your conversations that sort of illustrates that point? For example, uh, I can say with Tawakul Karman, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, um, you know, Tawakul Karman is a Nobel Peace Prize winner from, from Yemen. And uh, I, I remember I have conducted seven to eight interviews with, you know, with her. And, um, um, I remember the first time I was interviewing her, I I could hear the gunshots, um, and uh, that really gave me goosebumps. She was talking to me, but there was firing going on uh, because you know she was in Yemen, and uh, you know we were doing an audio interview, and that was the first uh, you know interview with her. And I went, so I and I I didn't find that she was jolted by it. You know, she was not jolted by it. And she was giving me the answers very, very firmly. And I was wondering, you know, that she she was not afraid. She was she was just giving the interviews and I can hear the gunshot. I mean, I got goosebumps sitting in Delhi. I mean, I, I was just safe home and everything. But then kind of, you know, I started thinking and then I went to Istanbul to meet her. And then we had a second interview and then third and then, you know, but the beauty is that she said that she got so many death threats. Same goes with Sharina Badi, but they said that they they chose not to give up, not to give up, and they're coming from the male patriarchal societies because where a woman is fed less than a man, you know, I mean, especially in terms of children, you know, if there is a girl, they do not prefer a girl child. They want to abide the way, you know, the women they know that it's a girl child because the female fetishite is so high. Mm. And these ladies who do not have, uh, you know, um, you know, the kind of uh, freedom to even go outside their homes without a male guardian sometimes, you know, are now coming on streets and doing campaigning and stuff like that. So that kind of moved me personally because I was born near the Kashmir area. You know how disputed this area is. So I've always seen the war of India and Pakistan, you know, I mean, not not really wars, but definitely the tensions. And I, I was in the Kashmir, I, so we were so we were the minority, you know, people there in Kashmir. So, uh, so that's why I could really relate to it more. That what it takes, uh, you know, to to really come out in a male-dominating world, to to really flourish and just say that we only want equality and nothing more than that. Um. So. You sort of uh, provided a good entry point to discuss how you got into sort of this line of work, how you got into journalism and the, the specifically the kind of journalism that you do. How did you um, 
sort of come to put together this book? I mean, as you said, it's years and years in the making. Uh, it's a really ambitious project. It, how did you sort of get the idea to to go about putting this book together? And how did you have the wherewithal to interview all these people? I'll admit, I, I've tried to interview a few of these uh, these folk. I've definitely um, put uh, emails out to Lema Bowie and to Jody Williams mm-hmm. specifically. And, you know, it never really kind of comes through. Um, so I have to imagine that there is a degree of tenacity involved with actually tracking these people down and getting them to to sit down and, and, and chat with you. See, uh, you know, first of all, I am very, very persistent, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I'm That's so fair. persistent that I keep knocking the door, you know, and, you know, there's a saying that, um, you know, keep, uh, like, um, I mean, you know, knock, knock hundred doors. And if 99 doors, you know, I mean, they don't open, at least one door will open. My whole purpose was something different. Uh, you know, as a child, I was very much motivated by Abraham Lincoln and Martin Luther King Jr. And of course, Gandhi. So I wanted to do something big in my, uh, you know, in my life in a way that I can contribute to peace. Now, that's the only thing which I wanted to do. So what what really happened, Mark, that when I was interviewing Ansan Suchi, something changed in me. I I know that people really take her in a very different light, you know, right now. But I think I was just 22 at that time. And uh, and I I used to read her, uh, you know, about her, you know, during school time. And I used to wonder, you know, what it takes to be in isolation for about 18 years or something like that so when I came out and you know there were like death threats you know for me I mean for me as well that who is she and all because when this immigration asked me well why are you here and I said that okay uh, I I'm a tourist because I I didn't understand what you know what I I mean I cannot really say that you know I'm here to do an interview on Sensuji and that's during the military rule and now it's okay now anybody can go and interview but during that time that was difficult. So I wanted to know what is, you know, as I mentioned before, my 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 personal curiosity because I, I I wanted to inspire people because I was in depression for some years in my life, and I was just looking up for real models to, you know, you know to whom I can look up and share the story so that at least I can fulfill my responsibility as a responsible global citizen you know that's what i was thinking and cracking those interviews was very 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 difficult and plus you know i i'm not coming from background bbc or cnn you know they have easy access so what I, I was doing that I was, you know, I used to write a lot to them. I used to do everything possible in my human capacity to actually convince them. And uh, I had a very different humanistic approach to this. And I, I, I somehow convinced some people and then, you know, and then, you know, things started moving. And, and so that's the that's the bottom line that I thought, OK, you know, and sometimes I had language problems because, you know, I'm like Rigoberta Menchi, for example, doesn't speak English at all. OK. Mm-hmm. So, uh, uh, and so Badi, So she speaks Persian and she speaks Spanish. So, I mean, Rigoberta speaks Spanish and Shirin Badi speaks uh, proper uh, Persian. So, you know, I had to hire people, you know, to translate and all that. So that was a very, very lengthy process. But I was not ready to give up because... Uh, I was thinking that, you know, I, I just couldn't afford to give up. And I just kept asking, kept asking till the time I got it because I was curious to show the stories. And I was curious myself and I wanted to know 
you know, well, you know, uh, um, about their strength. I wanted to know, you know, what kind of mindset they had. And I have some favorites that way. <laughs> yeah. So, so t- yeah, t- t- tell, tell some stories, some, some anecdotes, some of your favorites uh, in terms of that, that mindset. I think Malala, uh, it, uh, Malala is a very kind portion and the credit goes to Saudi Yusuf Sai. That's Malala's father. And um, I, I, I was there in the UK and, uh, uh, Malala's uh, father uh, specifically told his wife not to go to the gym that day uh, because Supriya is coming from India to meet us. So her mother didn't go to the gym that day, and her her entire family came to meet me. Uh, you know, they, you know, they're at the venue, and uh, they were very kind. We had a lunch and everything together. And what I could sense from her father's talk is something that he said: no matter wherever you go, you just stay true to yourself. And keep working on, you know, whatever you're doing is good. So that that was something, you know, which could just give me a little more courage to move on and some kind of validation that, okay, fine, that I'm on the right track because, you know, everyone is there just to pull you down. And somewhere, you know, something I wanted, I wanted to hear something that, okay, fine, you know, I wanted some kind of energy. And when I met these, uh, you know, I mean, these are wonderful people, I kind of realized that. Uh, how much passionate they are about, you know, world peace issues and the girl education and stuff like that. So they were very nice. And, they, and, and Malala was talking very normally, you know, to me. And she was saying, you know what, I like chocolate cake. And we started talking about Bollywood movies uh, also. So I saw a different aspect in, in Malala that no matter, you know, I mean, even if she's a Nobel Peace Prize winner, uh, she is a normal kid also. She has a beauty and she has innocence uh, of, you know, of, 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 you know, of a, of a person who is uh, willing to change the world and everything like that. Of all the women that you interviewed, did you get a sense from any of them that winning the Nobel Peace Prize was more of a burden than it was sort of a, a badge to carry them forward, that it sort of came with with a lot of negative uh, baggage that negative impacted, negatively impacted their life and somehow? Negatively, no, I think their life changed after Nobel Prize. For instance, you know, I mean, you can see the example of Leima Baboy, I think her life changed and so is, so is the life of Ellen Johnson Solie. I don't think so. there was a burden there's never, there's never sort of like, um, you know, I, I was just sort of wondering, you know, like how such like a, a prestigious honor um, that's conferred on someone might have sort of unexpected consequences that are not always positive. But um, I, I guess you're telling me that that no one took it that way. No, uh, I I don't remember which laureate said to me. I think it was Tava Kulkarman. She said to me that winning a Nobel Prize doesn't mean that your work is done. It means that you now your work starts. So that's what she said to me. That even after getting the Nobel Prize, she said that you know it clearly means that you know there's a lot of work to be done. So Nobel Prize. Uh, you know, didn't change her passion or anything. She is still the same. She is still working relentlessly to, you know, I mean, to restore human rights and everything like that. So I don't think such a, but, you know, I mean, the personalities are different. I think Ellen Johnson Sirleaf, uh, you know, I mean, if you just read the chapter about her, she has gone through a lot. She she's gone through a lot, and so it's lame and boy. But they all they have different personalities, and they all react differently. 
you know, some people just come and hug you. And like, I mean, Tawaku, or I think uh, Malala and or maybe Shireen, uh, Rigoberta, they will just, you know, uh, they'll just come and hug you and they'll just, you know, they'll just show you the warmth. Uh, some people might not, but but that depends from portion to portion. And uh, so as I said, you know, it's just, you know, it's just the purity of the souls, which is reflects uh, on their uh, on their face and on their aura. Um, so, so who might be the next female winner of the Nobel Peace Prize? I, I know it's uh, only April when we're speaking, uh, so we still have some some months left uh, as the nominations come in. But any any uh, recommendations? You seem to uh, be able to predict them well with your Nadia Murad uh, dedication of your book. Uh, I don't know. Right now, I don't know. Seriously, I don't know. Um, see, I, I think the right candidate should win, and uh, that's more important. And uh, uh, that's the main thing. You know, it doesn't matter male or woman. If, uh, you know, if, if the person with the right credential is, then for sure. Um, well, well, thank you so much for your time. This was really interesting, and I'll post a link to your book. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to Supriya Vani and... Do check out our book. I'll post a link to it on globaldispatchespodcast.com. Also, feel free to send me an email while you're on globaldispatchespodcast.com. You can do so using the contact button. Uh, I will get your email. I will read it. I will respond to it. uh, And I look forward to hearing from you. See you later. Bye.